I saw this movie first, uh, so Neil Milman's I'm sure first on this. His <laughs> mom took us to see it. It wasn't the first. It may have been the first R-rated movie I saw, but maybe not. It was either the first or the second. And then three years later, when I turned 13, I saw this, and I said, "Oh, I thought I loved it." Uh, it's another one of those movies that stays with you as a kid. Yeah. So, in our theater, the movie had a uh, six-week, either a two-week or six-week run. And if it was the first one, I maybe said, "Oh, I don't like how it's cast or whatever." So yeah, yeah. We did one for. So he Funny was that. He was, yeah. but he was he's also considered, I think it was more of like that star path that you take where it's like, I'm going to try to cater it for the show so it can help you out with it or whatever. But the yeah, but they could, he could not get um, insured. They were not yeah, able to insure it. Because that was about the height of his drug problem. So now, uh, that brings us to anything Siobhan Bain or Tina Marie or Michelle Obama, anybody that you think would make a great mom. <laughs> Doing it like, look at us, we're, we're giving it, it's just, it's just good. Yeah. You know? And it's, I love that. 
talk a little more about uh, Venom. Uh, Spencer said this is his favorite film. Um, and uh, you saw it in the theaters in the 2000s, right? Yeah, I took him there. Sunny theaters? And you were how old at that time again? I was 13. I was a good kid. I was still a good kid. You had a job, <laughs> you had a job when you were 13 that made you And in the 70s, you could do that. Yeah, because, <laughs> because you know why? They didn't have, everything wasn't connected by computer. So all you had to do was take a copy of your basic paper book over to the Xerox machine, make a Xerox image, take the Xerox, put the liquid paper over the name of the Xerox image, <laughs> type in the new name, make another Xerox, and then bring it to the guy, and he would make it. Yeah. Wow. Even though he was probably a handsome guy, he was cool. But yeah, I'm going to believe that you're funny. I was a good kid, too. I mean, I was, yeah. a, you know, I was a good kid. Now, when you go into Chicago, can you tell me this? Does that mean that the Venom is real? Like, would you be more connected if you were Venom to the 13-year-old movie actor that was Venom? <laughs> well, that's a lot. That's a big guess. Yeah. Um, I, was, I came to L.A. I did some comedy in Chicago. Um, this is one of my favorite stories in the movie, by the way. This is where he's talking to Heavenly Lamar for the first time, and they're playing on how they're going to get rid of Rocky. And then later on in the scene, I know what we'll do. We'll work up a number six on you. <laughs> um, I don't remember that. I love how much you love this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I love this movie. So he's like, yeah, it's a number six. Yeah, it's like number six. I just thought he was gay. So, <laughs> well, okay, I won't do the whole thing, but <laughs> so, uh, I quit. The question was, how did I get to California? I, I was working at a built motel that came here. I sort of bopped around the country with jobs at different advertisers, working jobs in Seattle and New York. And uh, I didn't want to go back to Seattle, so I came here for the same job. And then I was working at Hilton Hotels Corporation. And, uh, in the corporate office or at a hotel? In the corporate office here at the Hilton. And, um, and I fell off my motorcycle on the way home from work, and I had a rented car, so I stayed here in L.A. And so while I was on the car, I took a dope bag with me and stayed busy. And day at 45 miles an hour, Hilton moved to Virginia, and they offered me this job. So I was sort of stuck on the couch, and I didn't really know anybody here in Chicago. I mean, I was in New York for a while, New York and Virginia. Yeah, but how do you get the dope bag with you when you're sitting on the couch? Because of my mind. You know, because of my mind stuff. How do you overcome your mind? Like, what were your assi- were you get, like, somebody to tell you? Yeah, you have somebody to tell you. Somebody, a guy who I met in L.A. and worked for me. And apparently he was good. Yes, and then he did a few bad things. And he went to Blake Shelton, and he said, "Sorry, Scott." <laughs> and then I realized, I thought that you know maybe I could, because I'm an advertising copywriter. I thought maybe I might end in L.A. in the big industry of getting film and entertainment. And I figured so I'd so what should I write in for? And then I started writing voices, and I was like, I've always wanted to do stand-up comedy because I was a little kid. So I decided to try writing, and I was good at it, and I wrote it. That's so funny because I, I started writing jokes before I got into comedy writing. So I was doing stand-up probably about like three or four years before I started copywriting. And then I was doing like corporate writing and like just like a half hour mic. And another comedian in the group guy said, no, these jokes you have. And I had done some like text writing and a little bit of copywriting um, with other jobs and with my mom. And I sent it to her for a long time. And I was writing a lot of stuff for her on the side. Terrible writer. She took a math. Oh, my God. I'm not a terrible writer. She's a very good writer. Yeah, she's a math and engineer. 
kept thinking that the miracle part was just the work. He'd always take money, and then I would write it for me, and it just became a thing. You know, and that's a lot of money when you're 14, 15, 16. I just took those. I still have those writing samples, and I just took those and got jobs with them, like 10 years yeah. later. <laughs> I was, when I was 13, I was working at the Motown Theater making minimum wage, $2.92 an hour. But I didn't have any expenses. So I saved up my money, and I bought something that I wanted. Yeah. And I thought my mom would be proud of me because I saved up my money, and I bought something that I wanted. Mm-hmm. Uh, I bought Craig Lewis's CD, Honda CD-125 for me. <laughs> and uh, it didn't like occur to me that I wasn't old enough to ride a motorcycle. <laughs> or I didn't even know how to ride a bike. I pushed it home from school. Uh-huh. And uh, you know, when I, my mom got home from work, as fast as I could, I mean, she was really upset to have it. But when my mom got home from work, she got on the bike. She said, Oh, Dad, you can ride that. She took one look at the bike and one look at me and said, Just pretend you wouldn't live with your father. Oh, <laughs> wow. Because <laughs> <Now, I laughs> you were becoming a man. Did you go live with your father? I did. Did he get in a fight with you? No, but he bought me. Great dad. And I rode motorcycles ever since. Life, like real fucking life, and I made it work. 
will knock you right out of all these dreams that it took to set up a dinner party. Like out here, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Out here, you can pretend like shit is all cool. You can be a broke piece of shit and fantasize how dope you are and think about <laughs> it. Oh, this is so fucking cool, baby, because it's all sunny all the fucking time. But when the fucking winter comes, it is very clear who is poor and who is not. <laughs> and the, it'll knock it right out of you. Because I tell you, I've never been so poor since I've been out here. And I've never had so much money in someone's drive as when I was in the Midwest, but it was a drive towards other people's shit. You know, yeah, I was yeah, it was un- yeah. it was employment, it was yeah. my car being this and being that. So like I could totally fucking relate to that. And being like somewhat of a wonder twin when you're a kid and then the life just comes and knocks your dick in the dirt. Because I used to do I w- I was out here pitching to the people who eventually pr- uh, uh, produced Game of Thrones. I was out here pitching and sending screenplays to fucking uh fucking those dudes when I was like 20, 22. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And it was just like, wow, what a fucking loser you are right now type of shit. But at the same time, you start thinking like, I got my dick knocked yeah. in the dirt. I had Ten to do shit. I had to get money. Later. Right. <laughs> I, had to, I had to get money. And my next screenplay, they were like, oh, this is okay. And I didn't want to send another one because I was so young and arrogant that I thought everything was done. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, for, me, for me, I just didn't have the kind of resources or family support for people you know, to keep dicks from out here and do this, you don't have a lot of support from your family and exactly. your social support, and I didn't have it either. Yeah, and I had you know, I had that too. Uh, you came on the subject and then they went on the show. No, yeah. <laughs> no I'm just saying because I do improv, I have things I say from the pit. I don't have that support network that you have. Yeah, a lot of people do, and but when they're unsuccessful, people just think that they're like, oh, a lot of people, especially people who are like going through huge strides out of data, especially like going through this year. Work. I mean, there's not that they're not doing the work. They they're here. They work, and they keep it in a way where it's they're not like beaten down. Cause they're like they were teetering. And like if they come out the other side, they're gonna crap. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the, the one thing, the one way to hit it in comedy that I never came up with when I started doing it, uh, 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 how to do it, mm-hmm. seriously. Uh, but I feel like when you're out here in LA, I, I feel like there's a lot of people who come here for all these different reasons and shit. But there's a way to hit it perfectly that I was never able to do. And the way to hit it perfectly is go get a bunch of experience from Facebook and Instagram. Mm-hmm. Come here with people talking about you instead of a bunch of places that don't matter that say shit about you in your face that matter. Mm-hmm. Come here with that buzz. Do okay. And it'll be blown out of fucking proportion because you're new. Keep steady on that shit and then hope that, and I hate this dream because everybody has it but nobody gets it, but hope that you're just funny enough to not threaten to help other people so that they can take you on the road with them. And then from that point, you're getting, mu- you're getting money to do 15, 20-minute sets in front of great crowds, and you're going to be signed as a comic, and you come back to town with real skills, and you live up to your reputation you already have. That is the key. Now I haven't been able to do it. I never did. Speaking of Bob Dylan, I have a story. <laughs> but that reminds me of the story of Bob Dylan, uh, our segue. Uh, and you're going to realize the connection. So I'm watching a musical on ABC uh, called Searching Light. says this about his project that that we gather this information in his first act of the film from people talking about him from his first interviews and other people in New York. Uh, So he's in the music scene in his hometown and in kind of New York and L.A. Uh, And basically what he did is he moved to New York right away because that's where his family is. And he's very accustomed to his New Yorker dad from his town. And he's been writing to him. And when he came back to his hometown, then he was confused by, wait, this is New York and stuff? 
then he became really good in his hometown because everyone loved him. And, and then he went back to New York as the big fish in mm-hmm. the little pond, you know. So uh, it's kind of what you're talking about, but with an extra step of mm-hmm. him first going to the big, uh, getting some rep there, yeah. then coming home, then going back and forth. Because uh, actually it is it is surprisingly hard, or maybe uh, our guests can speak to this, to when you're in your hometown to convince other hometown people to be more than like, hey, what's up? That's Davey. Davey ate some goo one time. Or fucking well, it, but the it, thing it, is also, too, here is L.A. Like, if you're a hometown local L.A. kid, mm-hmm. then they know you, and they're not as interested in you until Absolutely. you got to, to Hollywood. Yeah, I think it's only it's only like good – people call me ancient. Because as you said, I could be from Boston, but it's like you could be from there or start there, and you could make it big and do that and come back. Like, if you can – because, like, you, it's – if you're good, co- if you're good, if you're great in New York, you can bring it to L.A. But if you're good in L.A., unless you're doing commercial, no one cares. Mm-hmm. But you can be good if you're a comedian in L.A., in New York, and be good because you're a comedian. And, like, in L.A., you need to have your own people that you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it is about – I want to keep it local. I mean, yeah, yeah. Like like and all those? Yeah. And always wanting to be – Yeah, Chicago – and, like, it happens in other big comedy cities – where it could be okay, like Chicago is one of those places. San Francisco is one of those places. Atlanta sometimes is one of those places. You get or Seattle is also one of those places where if you are big, and like Atlanta is really good. Atlanta, New York is good. Atlanta, Atlanta is really good. Seattle, Chicago, and San Francisco are really good. Now, um, I just want to go back to the Dark Circle because um, everyone I've ever improv you know kind of research and like you said five years ago he started started you know kind of reinventing it um a good portion of people are still alive that are like the original stand-in act and now it's just happening with new stuff and people are saying that they really are missing stuff because you're not going to have like um talking to people that talk about like a generation ago you know like when you were chris farley and you had like the mtv4 stuff like that and people being all Mm-hmm. 
because you've got to find the guy who whose spirit also embodies the spirit of the original God. But that's the essence as far as, far as like, what's funny to me is you, I guess you have this tie to the Lord, right? Uh, you're like a daywalker to me. Like you and Adam are like daywalkers. Mm-hmm. You can yeah, see, yeah. you can do, and like, like, I don't know if you do improv now, but you have done improv, but like yeah. improv and stand up, it's, it's, it's like really weird to me to be able to traverse both cultures because most of the people that I know can't. There's, well, there's a few people that I know that do, and they're some of the better. Well, I people. haven't really done it. Like I did some improv yeah. a little bit last year with a bunch of people, who it was just sort of loud, small group of people, and you know, like yeah, there's a certain philosophy about improv, but really a very tricky sort of philosophy of how you know it's sort of every it's an organic thing, and everyone's got to sort of offer their heart to a bigger thing, mm-hmm. and you know, there's different schools of improv. And so, like, I got into see because some people would show up with dramas and some from TV and some somewhere else. And they all have different philosophies, but, like, they just didn't work at all. And so, mm-hmm. at least not for me, because I'm used to working with people who have a very close philosophy of improv. Because that's that's what, that's always that's like my second choice. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's a, it's, it's a weird dichotomy to me between that and stand-up because very rarely – there are clips in stand-up that do a sort of power style of stand-up, and they all of them sit in the fucking front and they're super huge because they all have some of those themes. Well, I think it's like sense. the three big improv. Like there's basically but the three main ones. Yeah, and I got like second stage and ECB, and there's three big it's clubs. Also IO. And it's also IO. I th- I feel like IO is sort of an offshoot of ECB, and like IO well, and I second city are like Chicago. Yeah, are like sort of second city. IO and second city are very tied to sort of. But there's also some people who only play one of those clubs. Yeah, or it's, but it's weird. It's like a, it's like a fucking karate movie. It's like a yeah. It's yeah. like a fucking karate. Our master school is better than your master school. Right. Yeah. Well, there's less of that now. I can see more of that. I, I think that's just like I do improv and I know people in improv schools. There's a lot of students who are just pissed off at each other. Yeah. Because there's a lot of kids in LA who are like, I don't even know why we're here. Who gives a shit yeah. about mm. how that these people are now rising up in ranks. Some of them that are teaching now, people uh-huh. that trained at all school, all the schools are teaching now. But wh- what yeah, I'm my saying is, is saying like uh, two years ago, and I still don't know what they're doing. <laughs> well, I, all, I'm, all I'm saying about all this, what I'm saying is that like people who know about stand up and know about improv, to me, generally seem to be quite rare. People who are actually really dedicated to both of them are very mm-hmm. fucking rare because yeah. they're opposite skills. Yeah, they're yeah. So they seem to be opposite skills and opposite mentalities, and and it's almost like it's almost like the only th- thing they have in common is science. They don't like well, anything else. But but yeah yeah, and yeah. you d- and you know about three people who yeah. do both super fucking awesome, and that is not me being a fucking dickhead. No no no, because super your your co- your concept of super fucking awesome is broken now because goddamn it, super <laughs> awesome <laughs> super awesome is no, fucking awesome. Super awesome is like melt your face off awesome. And to be a great stand-up, you don't spend 50 fucking hours playing with kids. I'm sorry, you don't. So anyway, bottom line is um, it, it, seems, it, seems, it seems like fucking uh, – I'm sorry, dude. You don't, I'm sorry. To be awesome at stand-up, you don't spend 50 hours playing improv games with kids and lifting yeah, discs and shit. You just don't. You just don't. All I'm saying – all I'm motherfucking saying, all I'm saying is – 
the bottom line is it seems like the, the interesting part about improv is that it is a set of almost um, definable and measurable skills, much like a kung fu. And whereas stand-ups, it's like, it's like improv people are like kung fu people when they're regimented school or several regimented schools where they know real forms of martial arts. And every comedian is just drunken style. We're just like, hey, what's up? Ah! You know what I mean? And yeah. we're just coming out of the fucking woods, training in the woods, lifting rocks and shit. And we well, sometimes can do what the kung fu masters can do, but not often. Like I, and I differ from Dell in this opinion. Um, you know, Dell tried to make, make improv a form of art form. And he succeeded to a large degree. Um, but I still don't think that improv – I don't think stand-up is very improv either, but that's a different thing. But I think that um, – I don't think that improv is, a, is an art form. It's like it's hit or miss, you know. Sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's not. Even the best people, sometimes it's not, it's not all that great. Um, I can but clarify my stand-up comment. All, all art forms. I do think art. I do think improv is its own art form. Yeah, and com and stand-up comedy is its own art form. And comedy writing, I think, is a separate art form in both of those. I think stand. I think improv is a collection of techniques. Comedy writers who are terrible stand-up or terrible improv performers, who are great comedy writers. There's not all the techniques that go into the same form. Yeah, there is a nat like it is a natural mixture of like you can learn the technique of of drawing, but if you suck at drawing, you're never gonna be any good. Like it's really only demonstrably bad. You can like you everybody learns to write, but not everybody is a good writer. Yeah, but al also that. there there is that 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 component of voice singing. There are very very brilliant improv performers who, when it really comes down to it, don't have great voice. Obviously, the luminaries within the field do have a great personal voice that is coming through each of the characters they create, but even though even they're like, like Tina Fey and, 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 and Amy Schumer and stuff. Like, Tina Fey has the, <coughs> has the distinction of being a great performer and a great writer. Same thing with Amy Schumer. You take a guy like Chris Farley, who is a terrible writer. Awful. But he was a great performer. And I yet, don't know. I don't know if Chris was a great writer. He admitted that. He, he's never shied away from the fact that he's got that writing credit from Buffalo. <laughs> uh, yeah. you know, after all that performance, he got writing, uh, writing credit. Yeah, from he Buffalo. never wrote anything. Performer. He's wonderful. Writing credit in Chicago. Because everybody yeah, gets writing credit. Yeah, because he came up with like, I'm going to crash through this table. Yeah. Like, that's the writing credit. I came up with how I was going to crash through the table. And that that is writing. Nobody's no, taking that like away. That, but that it Chris isn't Farley writing. interview wasn't with Chicago. It was with, I think it was with Tina Fey and Amy Schumer. No, so they, were, they, I mean, they were written as far as it was a written, like, out as a bit. And he was, and he didn't improvise his questions, but he was basically essentially being himself. And also I just want to, can I just say, Olson Johnson is right. Howdy. Right now we're at the uh, town hall, uh, which, which uh, town council meeting is this? Rock Ridge, it's the first one. Okay, yeah. 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 The first town council meeting in the house. So, anyway, I could argue about stuff, but I, all I'm saying is, it just seems to me, to wrap up my particular thing about Tina Fey, which you brought up, Howard, all I'm saying is, it seems like the undisciplined nature of comedy does appeal to some people in the regimented soldier bag, uh, in my case, uh, Clinton fans, uh, writer of improv, uh, appeals to people, but in the end, if you have a really strong voice, I think you end up coming in too well. Probably starting to write sketches after you get your improv shit super, super cold, and you know all these great actors. You should, I, they seem to start trying to do sketches so the sketches can be filmed so that they can show that they are actors and shit and da 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 da. 
you know, the difference for me is really that improv is group activity. You meet other people, you do it, they play a song for you. And stand improv up, you do it by being yourself. Being in a band, and stand up is not a band, it's a solo show. How do you feel about that? Uh, yeah, both of them do that. I would, would show. I, 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 I would do that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what would I. My thing is, uh, when I in doing both, I have separation from the stage world because I hang out with people and not necessarily the stage world. And so you have the improvisers that just do improv and the improvisers that do both, and uh, sketch people too. And what I find is like the the sketch improv people very open to try stand up because they think it can make it part of their world. The stand up people are always like, no, nah, these improv guys are fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think true. it depends on what type of person you are. Where you see your career going, if you see it as a career and not and not just a form of self expression or a, a hobby, because for a lot of stand up people, it's just it's sort of a hobby or a form of self expression. It's like being a poet, you know, it's like but <laughs> I think it it sort of depends on uh like where you see your self taking this thing that you're doing. And the more you see yourself taking it somewhere stratospheric, the more open you are. It's just a, you start as a stand-up, the more open you are to, like, I can try improv. Even if it's just a, a, an exercise to see if I can do it. Whereas I think a lot of improv people already think of themselves as actors who want to take this to the next level. Where a lot of stand-up people are just like, I just want to get my message out. I just want to, I want to talk about how my, my mom is an asshole. Or that my dad fucked me in the ass. Or that, you know, or that, you know, I have PTSD. Or whatever the hell your, your thing is. It's like, you know, I'm a, I'm a kink and vagina's wide open, or I'm a dude, and I, you know, whatever the hell your thing is. Mm. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, one last question for you. Uh, I, happen to, <laughs> I happen to know um, that you were on uh, Jimmy Kimmel's show. Yes, and I was. You were in a bit on Jimmy Kimmel. Tell us about the bit and tell us how you got to be on that show. Uh, before I do, I just want to say that one of the things me and Riz bonded on when we first met him was he kind of looked like a young Del, like the young Del Close. Yeah. You look at pictures yeah. of Del Close then. I can see that. Yeah, well, he's got the brown like face and the brown <laughs> shirt. And mm-hmm. Yeah. And I told him so. <laughs> that bigness is going to come back to haunt him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I'm sure if you're going to do anything with Jimmy Kimmel, it's not going to be too long now. <laughs> Don't worry about it. It's getting bad. <laughs> yeah. Not to Del, Del Dad. Submitted. They were looking for a guy with a beard, and I had a beard, and mm. I knew that guy. I right. submitted on uh, LA Comic-Con. And so he's in LA, like he got an actual job at LA Yeah, they Comic-Con. picture-picked me with LA Comic-Con. And then <laughs> I went down there, and my beard is long. Mm-hmm. Some of you can see it's it's long. It's luxurious. You can, you can cut your hair. It's soft. My son is here. <laughs> it's luxurious. Um, and they picture-picked me. They hired me. I went down there, and I went to Yale, and my sketch was here, and they said... Did Yale have casting? No, Yale wasn't casting. No, no, they just picture-picked me to casting, and I was like, what the hell? Um, I went to Yale, they took beard extensions off, so my beard was longer, and it came down like my hairline. Mm. And then the sketch was a, a, it was a commercial for Dyson vacuums, 
where Guillermo <laughs> went up and down the street to the dungeon bathroom and vacuuming stuff off of people. <laughs> and there was a kid eating candy and making a mouth and Guillermo vacuumed it up. And then there was me eating some candy crisps and all these folks that said, get in my beard. And then Guillermo came by and vacuumed my beard. So you didn't get the sex ray in your John Mayer suit? No. Now did the, did <laughs> I didn't see John Mayer that day. I lost it. Did the bit uh, already seem completely worked out by the time you got there? Or did, were the writers on him like changing it or changing the airtime? It was completely scripted. And uh, we threw a couple of lines in in a couple of parts. And it was done in about a minute and a half. But everything was completely scripted. Say there and say, hey, see our content tomorrow. And then they don't show up. Stop this town. We just talked about Alex about Cassie. improvising to pay the kids to get fucking tuition. Like that's that's <laughs> this town. That's this town. That's important. <laughs> but improv skills town. are important. And, and you know, no, they're super important. I yeah. talked to Thomas Hifferger at the last uh, Emily Day at the Improv Lab, and uh, it was a comic who just appeared on the roast battle show at mm-hmm. Comedy mm-hmm. Central. Comically popular and was in Berlin, and I said, "Hey, that's great. You're down to do your show, because if you're down to do your show, like even if you don't win anything, you can just sit in the door and go on." And then that comic started talking about how he didn't want to act in in L.A. And I heard them discuss it because it actually is the case that mm-hmm. that's not the norm. And then they were saying, "Well, you know, if you if you want to come, you can." Yeah, because I think a lot of younger comics don't realize the more you do one thing, the easier it is for you to get. So whatever gets you through one door, like even if you don't ever want to act, almost every, or I won't say almost every, but a large percentage of writers I've met in this town, and even including myself, because I've done writing on the live or some things, I've also acted largely against my will. I don't, I don't mind acting, but it's not what I came here to do. But I get hired more for acting than I do for writing. And if you want to be a stand-up comic, and but acting but helps acting with stand-up has, comedy. But and the more exposure you get to acting, the more exposure you have to writing. Yeah, and the more e- and the easier it is to get into a writer's room. Yeah, uh, and I've I've been in, in a room while writing. You don't get any exposure. Yeah, nobody yeah. reads your stuff. You know, nobody. Yeah. I've acted more than I've written. Because like, I moved here to become a writer, but I don't ever turn down any. I don't have an agent, so I don't turn down any. I think I've only turned down one acting job ever. And that's because it was a gratuitous, like, they were sending my kidneys. That's yeah. all they wanted. Like, I'm okay with sending my kidneys, but that's all they wanted. I'm like, I need you to want all more. All I get cast for is doctors. Yeah. Wizards. And doctors who want to adopt <laughs> other wizards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, I just did a thing for Comic-Con where I got to play a Jedi, and that was awesome. Yeah. I never, like, but, it, but ten years ago, I probably never would have done that. Like, when I was in my 20s, I never would have done it. Because I would have been like, no, I'm a writer. I don't. I, I, I don't was actually like that in my twenties. Like I, I, I was acting, and I had a role in a movie. I had done improv, and I was like, you know what? I really want to act. I also want to write. And I went and became a copywriter. And so maybe like the stage of development you go through. But I didn't think that. But I knew that like this particular company that had me for this for their Comic Con like video that they were doing. All right, this is something first I need to get in with them because if nothing else, you get either. A company that does like a lot of like uh, like uh, movie merchandising and then you get you know, artist and development. So I'm gonna say that twice because I love that so 
Okay, as I said, nothing else I can just control with this. It's like that shit, like the alien movies and all that kind of stuff happening. But like, it's also something like that. I could maybe get a job as a writer now, it, even a copywriter. I'll take it. I'll do it, and I'll be fucking happy, and I'll still be able to do shit I love. The person that you're talking about is like, that like, well, yeah, that the, the person that is like, yeah, you're being pushed by the fucking universe towards acting, and then you refuse it because of some weird hipster pose or some weird attorney style bullshit shit. Can I? And it's just so, it's so strange how you can know <coughs> that and still not be able to grab a fucking job. When you're young, you're idealistic, Kevin. Mm-hmm. And uh, like when I was young, all I was going out for was the same kind of parts I'm going out for now when you're younger. You know, you go on these commercial auditions that, okay, pretend you're shaking a tree. You're a big, angry guy, and you're shaking a tree. And I just thought, man, this is stupid. I don't want to be the Ernest Borgnine of the Batman crowd. (laughs) (laughs) And that was because I didn't have any guidance, man. Mm -hmm. I didn't have anybody that was in the industry or any of those resources that we talked about a little Mm -hmm. while ago to tell me, you know, what it was about or how to do it. So I just stopped doing it. I, I think I stopped. I think I stopped doing auditions because uh, I don't like to be in rooms full of people that look like me. It <laughs> freaks me the fuck out. <laughs> it freaks me out. It puts in high relief how you see yourself, how other people see. Not necessarily how you see yourself, but definitely how other people see you. It puts in high relief how other people yeah, see you. Yeah, but that's what I mean. And, 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 and you can't so. control how other people I, see I you. Know, I, yeah. I know. I know. one. Of that's, but that's one of the reasons. But it's also one of the reasons I started doing stand up. Where I could go on stage and I look like a big fat shit type that I'm a siege and then say a bunch of smart shit and have them clap in my face. That was the whole fucking yeah. point. So the fact that I want to go counterman that to go hand a nigga a bratwurst and stuff like that, right, that right. just it weirds me out. And right. I know it's loser thinking. Don't, don't, I don't need that in my life. I understand it intrinsically. But it just sucks. It just really sucks. Was this the first movie that ever had fighting on the screen? I remember when this I movie came out, when it was already yeah. my grandpa saw it. I had a three-year-old. I was a little kid. He could not stop laughing that night. <laughs> yeah. He thought it was the funniest thing. You, you know what? This was, this was, to this time, what the Something About Mary Jeers scene was to my generation. Yeah, probably. My generation knew about Jeers, had never seen it on a movie or nothing. <laughs> it wasn't, Jeers was never a major player when I was a kid <laughs> watching Knight Rider and shit. You know, it was never that way. <laughs> so, man, when we saw Jeers, like, these people saw farting for the yeah. first time in high relief, like, real fart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I bet. Anyways, <laughs> this top five is brought to you by Wayfair. 
Part of the American culture is because the American culture. Something that stands out to me about this film is the simplicity of the design. Uh, so, and how he really drives it into the ground. And how he's only a black man to you. He's nothing else. He can't be a husband, he's also a an father, Emmy winner. an actor. He's an Emmy winner. Uh, an Emmy winning I just see a b- actor I just from see a black man wearing an Emmy. <laughs> from the critically acclaimed late 80s, early 90s show, Dear John. Starring another <laughs> actor who was Jewish. Now, you don't think that's the one from Mike Davis. Yeah, Judd Hirsch, <laughs> Judd Hirsch has the f- is the funniest person, independent person I've ever watched in my life. And also watched Opie and Anthony. Is he like episode, Opie yeah, and Anthony episode both. called Hebe Kalkberger. <laughs> it is the funniest fucking thing in the world. You don't think that ever was with Mike Davis? Yeah, it, it talks about how just ex- how impressively Jewish Judd Hirsch was <laughs> in Independence Day. But anyway, go ahead. So now I'm fine. James, do you want to you want to go first, last, in the middle, somewhere? Wherever you want, I'll go first. All right, let's I hear our guest come up. I tried to come up with the top five movies I've seen with male black people. I couldn't really come up with five. I here's the thing: I don't That's go how to white you are, James. Well, it's that, but I also. <laughs> I haven't gone to the movies a lot, like in the last 20 years. I sort of stopped going to the movies, like in 1995. Well, I still got, I got, they're all on my hand. Oh, one thing, I don't want to interrupt your top five, but I do want to say, I do want to say, I love Dollhouse. And I am like, now, I always liked you. I always liked you. I always liked to be around you and you coming around the store and stuff was cool, Brad. But God damn it, I think I, I think now I need to see this film because like wh- I <laughs> love that fucking movie. Like really? I think the first time I, ha- I heard the football rap, the fucking it's the sport of kings. But it's that time well, again. Football. You know what's <laughs> interesting is <laughs> just amazing. No white person has ever said that to me. But you're the second black guy to have that reaction, dude. Because I did not realize that movie was so big in the dude, black community. It, it was huge because fucking Goldie Hawn, who was like the Kate Hudson of her day, hey yo. Uh, fucking, <laughs> fucking. See what you did there, <laughs> mother and daughter. <laughs> she was with these black high school guys in a locker room, a whole bunch, and you know, dirty white boys and shit. But she was at an inner city school with like uh, 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 Wesley Snipes and everybody. Uh, I don't know. If they're gonna remake a any Goldie Hawn movie with Kate Hudson, I feel like it should be Wildcats, and then the second choice would be Private Benjamin. Because when you've been talking, Private like Benjamin had a black male lead. I mean, yeah. that's pretty. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I didn't mean to derail. Just talking like Kate Hudson redoing one of her mom's movies. Okay. We're we're literally not going to talk about her acting in Independence Day. Okay. What are your movies? All right. So my movies are number one, Blade Runner. Okay. I can't find the list, but I can sort of do it from memory. Um, Number two. Number two is going to be. That movie with Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder where they went to jail. Oh, the Great Great Business? Or something. <laughs> they had a few <laughs> movies. <laughs> they had a few movies. I can remember Great. the one. I can remember the one about the train. <laughs> the one about the train was called Silver Streak. Yeah. yeah. But the I one about Silver Streak. They had a few movies in there. Uh, Stir Crazy. That's crazy. Crazy. Yeah. And, I, and I couldn't even open my phone. I was trying to open my phone to pretend like I was oh smart. I but my mind this. my mind beat the phone. So thank you, Evolution. Yeah, they're crazy. Yeah, and I know, yeah, she's really good. <laughs> She's Gotta Have It, Spike Lee movie, which I oh saw yeah. when it came out in an art theater. I was in college at the time and Joe was watching it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember it was just so unique in that editing style. 
good song, and it was really good. They're really fun. You know? Yeah. Um, see Thomas Howell where he <laughs> pretends to be a black guy so that he oh can my god so <laughs> bad <laughs> that is not are you serious oh, that was a also uh, uh Tropic Thunder um, <laughs> Robert Downey Jr. in Tropic Thunder and uh, Al Jolson in the musical yeah <laughs> There's there's many movies where like a white dude and a black dude are kind of the co-leads yeah. because like I guess sometimes you go lead and lead training wheels. Yeah. It's like what was that? Yeah. 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 these white boy training wheels on you and make sure people come to you. Yeah. It's almost like Lethal Weapon was like the same thing. Yeah, I would not call it that. I don't think I've ever yeah. seen a Danny Glover movie, but we get plenty <laughs> of Dan- Danny Glover. You're fuck. I don't like me. Actually, this story gets too long. Uh, I wound up punching him in the <laughs> and, and dropping him in the floor of the Motown Theater the theater I used to work at. And they were like, had no place to put him out. And you know. punch a guy in the face while you work at that place? No, it was after that. It's sort of a long story. I was, I was about 16. Or no, I must have been about 17. I was working at this bar in the basement. And I had a beer. You worked at the bar at Entree Hall Drive Bar? I was a big kid and I had a beer. And a Xerox machine. He told you about this. <laughs> and so this guy, his name was Bob, and he also worked He worked at this theater after I left. And um, for some reason, he was a big guy, too. For some reason, we were like neighborhood rivals. Well, I don't think I ever spoke three words to me in my whole life. Mm, but like three, like 
like my friends talk her up against him, and I don't know. So we were still in our garage, and I didn't really even notice. But his sister came into the bar one night, and I knew the other room because she didn't have a, a freaking clothing on, so she had a red wig. And she said, well, I didn't even notice. She said, well, I know you. You're David Munter, and you're not old enough to work here. I'm Bob's sister, and I'm calling the police. So I was concerned about my job, so me and Rich took some Prozac, and we went and started <laughs> trading places. So your answer to her threat to your job was to take Prozac? No, 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 no. Oh. This is sort of our thing. We decided we were going to go to some trading places, and have Rich give me a pointer. And uh, Rich was a nutjob. He was not a guy you would want to fuck with. Can I say that word? <laughs> and uh, Whatever you so want. we went in, and there was Bob still working at the theater. And on the way in, he says to me, I, he said, hey, Bob, and I took down a deal with him. And his sister came to the bar, and she brought me over some Prozac, and I think you're the guy that, you know, Bob was trying to involve. And he was like, you know, I don't remember exactly what he said, but he's like, you know, I'm not telling my sister what to do. Fuck you. And so I, I went in, and I watched the whole movie, the whole thing, thinking, I'm like, because I came back out, and then I was like, Bob, look, I'm just asking you to keep your sister away from the bar. And he said, fuck you. And I said, well, I don't fuck you. I'm your sister's dad. And uh, I wound up going to jail for like two hours. So Clay Luger, I had a little bit. Dave Nyquist, Trader Places. Next on my list, I Am Legend. Why aren't you the world's greatest detective? Terrible. I feel like you took my Chris on this because A, he is a goddamn human being and I don't give a fuck what you think about the ending and uh, the thing is, the director did not understand how CGI works and had the most dumb ass looking monsters chasing each other, but when they kept it really simple in his costume and just had Hulk on his knees and Hulk in the corner doing stuff or or when they had him kind of uh, uh, with a a camera on the end of his gun and his gun to shoot the fish ball stuff doing the stuff, the movie works in those moments because there's no CGI but the bottom line is, uh, we but Negroes can't be choosers in this category. And frankly, it's one of the more human performances I've ever seen these cocksuckers let a black person be doing in a fucking movie. And that I, I, I respect that. So I put that <laughs> in there. But you don't have any anger that I can talk about. No, not at all. You don't have any anger that I can talk about. He's the most mellow, laid-back person you could ever meet. I'm saying we don't get to be goddamn people ever. And he was a person. He was a soldier. He was a soldier. He was scared. I know. He was a soldier. He was scared. He had a dog. Private mannequin? Yeah. What the fuck, mannequin dog? He wanted to fuck that mannequin real bad. My last on my list, my favorite movie that Neil brought to us, Predator 2. Danny Glover crawling around on the side of a building, sweating his ass off with one handgun. With his big brick. And his bloody it is such a performance. He goes through so much. He's supposed to be the most badass black dude in the whole LAPD. Oh. Let's see your ear Did you count that as a, as a lead, though? Oh, he's definitely the, the predator's not the fucking yeah. lead. <laughs> and the second Predator. Predator 2. Predator 2. Danny Glover is most definitely the lead of that movie. Yeah. And then Predator 2. Oh, so good. There's a, a long list of movies that I really
Beverly Hills Cop Two. <laughs> Why not one? Why, Why did you one? do this? Because I prefer two. Oh, <laughs> I prefer Beverly Hills Cop Two. This is a running joke. She likes the inferior <laughs> sequel to everything. It's not inferior. Oh my god. It's not inferior. It is so <laughs> empirically inferior. To no, it one. isn't. Oh my god. The only thing that's inferior about Beverly Hills Cop 2 is it doesn't have as much Bogomil in it. But other than that, <laughs> I love Beverly Hills Cop 2. It's a great fucking movie. It has a better plot, in my opinion. Any movie that would be made from the Beverly Hills Cop franchise. It's the only good <laughs> mediocre movie ever. Except for Red Sonja. I'd rather watch that bitch in uh, Cobra. <laughs> Red Sonja and uh, Rocky. What is it? Rocky okay, Rocky 4. Rocky Four. She killed it in Rocky Four. She was wonderful. Yeah, and those two sex. These are her two. Those are her two sex movies. As a Nordic fembot, she did a great job. All right. Uh, my next one is Friday. Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. See. Yeah, I so know what lead. I'm doing. Bye, <laughs> Felicia. The lead was Debo. <laughs> That's where Bye, Felicia comes from, by the way, white people. If you didn't know, Bye, Felicia comes from Friday. And now, speaking, it comes straight out of Compton. I saw that last summer, and now I'm extra woke. <laughs> <laughs> That's me doing white people from have 2015. Have you seen Friday? The show? I'm sorry, today. I saw Friday, but it's <laughs> driving. because they were black people. I mean, I don't see a lot of movies. They only came out in 1995. Anyway. I saw Friday, Friday at a drive-in movie theater. That's how long ago it came out. <laughs> so you picked, you picked <laughs> it. You li- why did you pick it? Because it stars. It has, like, all. There's no white people in that movie at all. <laughs> That's a feat. Uh, I gotta go back and check that out. There's no white people in Friday. Literally at all. Not one white person. There's no black dude married to a white chick. There's none of that. Everybody in that movie is black. And then there's two Mexicans in that movie. That's it. When I when I went to Chicago and one Asian. Friday came out. I remember seeing the seeing that preview for it and they were shipping like it in the first lines of like buy four, this neighborhood mm. like this, whatever. And I remember thinking, how poor can they be? They each got their own house. Yeah, but those houses, they bought them in 1979, and they cost $20,000. And they were both their goddamn mother's houses as well. Let's just put this in in tenements. Tenements, baby. But there's no goddamn tenements out here. That's that's a case of geography not wealth. Yeah. uh, Like like in Compton. Yeah. uh, My next one, Hollywood Shuffle. Oh, good I almost picked that. Because there's such, like, if you're going to pick a movie starring any black person and you want to be woke as fuck, it's got to be Hollywood Shuffle. I was going to put that. That's the wokest black movie of all time. I was going to put that, but I didn't want to seem like a white guy who was trying to insult his black friends. <laughs> hey, that, well, you know, sometimes <laughs> you got to do what you got to do. Be woke, Meeker. <laughs> you want to be a woke white bae, <laughs> you better pick Hollywood Shuffle. The next one, I'm going to get you something. That's the other one that came up like mm. it piggybacked off of the Hollywood Shuffle thing, and but it went full bore into full satire of of uh, black exploitation movies. So it was a full on black like satire of black exploitation, which and this is and it was fucking great, fucking hysterical. Uh, if you've never seen I'm gonna get you shuffle, I highly recommend it, especially if you've ever seen any black exploitation movie ever. Yeah, it's a, a black because exploitation. It was, 
uh, uh, black flotation airplane. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's the airplane of black flotation. Oh, you know what movie? Speaking of that though, that is on my list that I forgot to mention. What? Cars. Oh yeah. Oh, there's a good one. Franklin the Giant. It was more of an ensemble movie. But almost, I mean, almost everybody who's in the ensemble is black. Then you have George Carlin. George Carlin and the guy who owned the car wash in Kiss. Yeah. But there's like two white people, and everybody else is black. And my final one is because he he sent just a quick kind of Q and A after I switched mine to my alternate Kenneth Omega, which is Ricky Rockenbach. And I do think Danny Glover is very much a co-lead on that movie. Actually, in the original poster for Lethal Weapon, Danny Glover's name was first before Mel Gibson in the very first Lethal Weapon poster. Well, he's more of an established football star. Because uh, Mel Gibson at the time only had the Mad Max movies and the Year of Looking Game to see, and he had some older, I think, underserved. American movies out of as far as American movies went. Uh, he had like maybe six or seven movies at that point, and he wasn't like as big a star as he is today. And then the later 80s and 90s, and he did probably like 10 movies back to back after that. And so, uh, yeah. And then my honorable mentions, though, uh, my honorable mentions would be Murray. Murray is the only successful and the only good black romantic comedy that isn't a Tyler Perry piece of shit. Really feels like I feel bad about not being black enough. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Tyler Perry romantic comedy and Tyler Perry dramas do honor. Tyler Perry is an actor, doesn't bother me in the least. Tyler Perry is a writer director, is a fucking abomination. I've never seen a Tyler Perry movie, but I looked at him like the last three. Know what I mean? Know what I mean, Bernie? He makes uh, uh, he's not make, a make, word yeah. because he's not. Ernest didn't set back an entire race. He didn't what? set white people back to the fucking Middle Ages when you guys were still living in AIDS and shit. Well, okay. <laughs> well, I mean, but it's almost impossible to set back that. Even if you set back that far. All right, Ed, wake us up. What's your What's your list? I don't. Man, my list sucks. You know why? Because I did this. I did uh, a poll. I did a poll. I went to uh, top 100 on Ranker. Top 100 black movies. There's only right? six. Right. Well, it's, uh, there's definitely more than that. Uh, there's more than that. So that the top the top 100. Three of them are have John are related to Ice Cube or John Singleton. One of them is <laughs> uh, one of them is a Denzel movie. One of them is a Spike yeah, Lee movie. Definitely. It just shows you how limited our sphere is. You know what I'm saying? Like the top, the top five <laughs> black movies are all interwoven in the Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon type way. That that it isn't that way for white movies. It's, it's very interesting. Shaft, Shaft in <laughs> Shaft in Africa, more sweating. Anyway, um, I count black in it. Um, uh, what I don't even think he got to be a count. That's another thing. If it was Count Blackula, it would have been just Blackula. This motherfucker ain't a count just because he's black. Like a Deacon Blackula. Anyway, um, what uh, you know, the first movie that I Jackie saw. Jackie Brown. Oh, that's not even a count. That's another one. Yeah, no, right. Uh, he loves Jackie Brown. I love Jackie Brown. I love Jackie Brown a lot. I love the whole movie with her and Jackie Brown. I've seen Jackie Brown. Um, okay, this is my thing. I got to base this on when I was a kid. And when I was a fucking kid, a black guy could be the funny, Bugs Bunny sort of sort of person in the movie. That's the, that was the first my first introduction to black people in film was Eddie Murphy and Beverly Hills Cop. One, the good one, the one that isn't a, to, a Tony Scott nightmare. Tony Scott, when he jumped off that bridge, last thing he thought was, I directed Beverly Hills Cop 2, goddammit, and he wanted to live. If so you could rectify that mistake. If you could I hate see the movie. look in Katie's eyes. <laughs> oh, that movie's the worst. Martin Martin Brest 
God rest his soul is the only good thing he probably ever did. But yeah. damn, he directed the fuck out of Beverly Hills Cop. One, because he let Eddie Murphy really shape his character over the course of his performance. It's fabulous. There's beautiful lines in it like cool. uh, when he gets put when he gets put <laughs> when he gets put in jail and he gets bailed out and he says, Hold up, man, I use my phone call to call to, to order a pizza. And they're like, Come on out of that cell, goddammit. He goes, Hello, somebody ordered it. You know what I mean? So super hilarious lines like that delivers the whole thing. His interaction with the white cops is great. It's just a wonderful cop movie. That's, that's what I love about the movie. And when movie. he invites fucking uh. Taggart to get into the pool, no one gets your ass in this pool. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> it's, you know, you, the Beverly Hills Cop is Independence Day 2. It's got all the same beats. It's got all the same beats as the original, <laughs> but worse and louder. And that's a re- reason why you would like it. I get that. I, I, I like Independence Day 2. I don't mean to break up this cut. <laughs> That's one of the reasons I love this movie better than Taggart's. It's so funny throughout, and there's such great, great little lines in it. Uh, like when they line up, the guys are, when the, the, the criminals are lining up to raid Rock Kids, and they disguise themselves as Klansmen. Oh, yeah. And uh, Cleavon Little sticks his hand out of the Klan's robe for a flash, and he turns his car over. Oh, yeah, I forgot to wash up after the recent flash. <laughs> Yeah, little stuff like that all the way through. So when I was a little kid, fucking uh, Beverly Hills Cop and to a lesser extent, or kind of almost like a greater extent, uh, 48 Hours, blew my mind that a black dude could have that much agency in movies, and it really it really shaped how I, I think about shit. Next, uh, I had to wait years for this. And this may be an uh, honorable mention. Larry Fishburne in Deep Cover. I re- dude, I remember how to see you were a, a black teenager. Oh. Deep cover was like your godfather. It was like. Yeah. Well, it shows you the sliding oh. scale, but it, 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 it is what it is. It was and deep cover is the movie that Will Smith is in with uh, Chris Pratt. He's not Chris Pratt. He's some other Hollywood actor. I didn't see deep cover, but I did see Lawrence Fishburne in the movie about black motorcycle rider guys. It was horrible. I've seen Lauren Fishburne a lot of stuff, but that was one <laughs> but black see, movie I It see. seems like you have self-selected the worst black <laughs> cinema so that you don't have to select anymore. It's, it's really, it's really I went weird. Into this, I went into the Tiffany store and saw this movie starring a bunch of rappers, <laughs> and it wasn't good. Tonight. And then I'm just like, so why was I I, mean, I saw Leprechaun too. I get black cinema. I'm <laughs> 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 Master P. And <laughs> have you guys ever seen the Master P movies? We're 12% of the population. We're probably in 1% of the movies that are in a starring role. I, I, I give them a pass. But we're 40% of the world and probably the sun. <laughs> Which is its own problem. Okay, so Deep Cover was amazing. And uh, honorable mention, Passenger 57. Passenger 57. Passenger 57, when I was a kid, there was a severe fucking paucity 
Now, I, and I didn't watch the Jim Brown movies. I wasn't introduced to the Jim Brown movies or any of the Black Exploitation Sunshine movies. So when last the next time I saw a black dude whooping someone ass in a movie, it was a string of movies where Wes- Wesley Snipes is my black lead. That's what I'm saying. He's my black lead. He was in <laughs> he's in Blade, Casper Fifty Seven, Drop Zone, motherfucking uh, Drop Zone. Dude, a lot of movies in the nineties. He was also in Goldie Hawn's Wildcats. Dude, and he was in uh, yeah. Yeah, he was in Goldie Hawn's Wild Wildcats. Yes, he played a wide receiver of the Fisher Cat. And he was in goddamn uh what I wish you guys could see me with my face in my hands. You're right you're come on, you pick the President Hitchcock too. Yeah. I'm gonna put that on your gravestone. Than, I'm gonna put that on your gravestone and somebody's gonna come graffiti over it. I like Cassie Fifty Seven. But Cassie I like 57. You know what I like better? Executive decision because it, that's the movie that they tried there to There ain't no out. niggas in that movie, hardly. Oh no, fucking uh uh Joe Morton is in that movie Look, and he spends most you know of it what? with a broken neck. That's your pick. Those are both. both but I just saw those are both mostly mediocre mind. movies. Which okay. Is why you can't agree with them. Anyway. Oh, you know what? We neither of us picked and we should have. What? Don't. Uh, I wasn't done. <laughs> now, uh, dope <laughs> is my. Uh, <laughs> 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 no, you know I what? See your list I, I gotta, I gotta give that that movie. That movie, both of us it and I went to go see that movie, and we both came out of the theater like. Who the fuck stole our childhoods and made into a movie? And also, it's the also, greatest movie. also no honorable mention the wood. Also, I honorable mention the wood, which was directed by the exact same guy, written and directed by the same guy. We're and not it, a and, and it, but it was within the studio system of that time, a very good representation of black people as not just violent thugs or whatever. What the fuck kind of personal bullshit is that? That's retarded. I don't get that. I don't get that. You don't. You don't like James Cameron. James Cameron because he's pushed a dumb I kid. Know, you don't like the woods because some actor was an asshole to you. It's retarded. But it's I really dumb. It's like the grudge I had against Craig Robinson for like w- years because he said something you goofy at a party. Nope, I'm I'm over it. I, I forgot to look at Hot Tub Time Machine too. You should have. Hot Tub Time Machine is literally doesn't have a black lead. It has a black sidekick. Anyway, okay. Uh, Craig Robinson. I, uh, I, saw, I, I said hot, I didn't see Hot Tub Time Machine. I saw Hot Tub Time Machine too. Definitely a black lead. Okay, I get, I get that. I think I think that. Well, if they uh, when you go back in time and you have a black character and you don't address it, you're a fucking asshole. So I'm glad the movie addressed it. Uh, okay, um, <laughs> on a realistic point, uh, I I do have to say Blade, uh, as uh, Hillary said by uh, Bob Driggers, it's an absolute classic. I love it. Uh, also Creed. I really, really enjoyed I haven't seen Creed. Well, I have two honorable mentions, which are Pastor 57 and uh, Blade. And my list is actually Creed. My list is actually motherfucking Creed. Creed, uh, fucking Blade, uh, Beverly Hills Cop. Ironically enough, Pulp Fiction. And I'll tell you why. I almost picked that one too. I almost yeah. picked that one as a lead. But number fucking one, if there is a star of that movie, it is goddamn Jules Winfield. Who the fuck no, is the star? Who, no, it's fucking not. No, it's fucking not. Somebody has two segments. The opening fucking segment and the end segment, which are fucking long ass segments. And one person has one John segment. John Nigga, no. John Travolta. Well, definitely not John Travolta. That's Dude. crazy talk. Just they, no, they, that's they, they had to count up their fucking lines in, to, in order to arbitrate who should go for fucking uh, supporting actor or whatever the fuck actor. And I think Travolta beat him by like two lines or something. But if you look at who the goddamn star of that movie is, come on. Like you talk about uh, uh, Jeff Hornacek is the same as Carl Malone on the Utah Jazz of the 90s. Get the fuck out of my face. Who are you talking to that. with that goddamn analogy? It's, I'm, yeah, 
was no, a on-program white player, and Karl Malone was I one of the greatest of all time. I get the analogy completely because of only because of context. I am saying that a white dude on the comeback trail. You got a 1650 on my SAT. No, no. I just feel like, I'm, and I'm talk- definitely liking uh, Samuel Jackson in there as somebody who's a real character. He's the only motherfucker in that whole movie that actually has an arc. That, to me, is a sign of a star of a movie. The personality changes, and they give him a different person by the end of it, and it becomes stronger to that end point. Uh, oh, no, he dies. He dies because his fucking stupid fucking ass doesn't learn a goddamn thing. He goes through that whole uh, hallway bullshit and gets shot at and the bullets go through his ass, and he doesn't learn that it was a goddamn miracle and he should have got out the game. And what's he do? The next week he goes with Marcellus for some shit-ass job and gets killed with some Pop-Tarts pop-ups. That's what John Travolta's fucking ass gets. And that's why he's a supporting no, character no, in that movie. Get the fuck out of here. And he was a heroin addict, dumb asshole. That's why he needed more money all the time. Anyway, so that is my list. But ironically, oh, but uh, my last one that's actual real list is Malcolm X. And Malcolm X. Malcolm X is on my. uh, There ain't no motherfucking. Yeah, there ain't no movie. I know so much. (laughs) 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 Well, actually, he he rounded it off with uh, with Rick Rick Flag. Um, Those were good. But uh, those were obvious ones. Okay, but here's my thing about about and I I want people to know, oh the, here's the Klan scene howdy, um this is what I want people to understand about Malcolm X and why it's so important to Black people and to piss you fucking off. Number one, that movie only exists because big black luminaries gave fucking Spike Lee completion funds to complete the fucking movie. It was not no fucking Cracker Studio that gave him enough movie to make this beautiful piece of art about a real Oprah black dude. Winfrey, it was Sam Jackson, all Oprah those people, Winfrey. all those people gave him money. The black community made that fucking movie possible. That's number one. Number motherfucking two, uh, Denzel Washington got totally goddamn jobbed out. I thought I was watching a goddamn wrestling match <laughs> when I watched that year's fucking Oscars. Yeah. Because there ain't no I'm goddamn way. For training day. It's fuck training day. There ain't no goddamn way that uh, a black dude, uh, Denzel Washington, I know, but fuck that. Uh, we get we get we get our Oscars for playing villains and shitty fucked up people. Why can't we be fucking the nigga so Stephen Hawking or something? My left foot. Where's all the nigga my left foots? Where's all the undeniably good, damaged, genius black people who get these roles? No, it's a person. I'm a G. I'm a criminal who gets shot by a bunch of Russians. Give me my Oscar. I'm I a fucking Billy Bob Thornton. Oh, they all yes. change her name to Amy Redmayne. All for that the next shit. Movie. She let Billy Bob Thornton fuck you in the ass. Yeah, she fucking sucks. Didn't you ever see the Jackie Robinson shit? That didn't get any Oscars. You mean the one that starred <laughs> Eddie Redmayne? Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. Anyway, the po- the point is Malcolm X had a performance in that movie. It is the black lead movie in the world because in that movie, fucking Denzel Washington plays at least four different characters. He plays Malcolm Little as a, as, as a young little street guy who doesn't – no, as a young guy, period. Shut up. He no, play, I he just pl- want to say, I guess I have seen the Denzel Washington movie. Well, yes, you have. <laughs> All right. So he, he literally plays a young dude who's working on the train that doesn't know what to do, and he's just fresh off the boat, kind of from, from fucking Nebraska type guy. Then he plays a young street thug. Then he plays a seasoned street thug who, who has his own gang that steals stuff. Then he goes to prison, and, and he plays hard in prison, fucking homeboy. That's four characters right there, because he changes uh, demonstrably through all these phases. Then, once he uh, meets fucking Allah and shit, uh, and, and uh, Elijah Muhammad in prison, he becomes that low level of just, I'm a soldier for Elijah Muhammad. And he plays that until he gets his ego about him and becomes like the super minister of the information for the whole shit, which is a fucking fifth 
excuse me, a sixth character, and then he becomes disillusioned with those dudes, which is like a seventh character, and then he does the El Hajj Malik Shabazz thing, which is like an eighth fucking character. He plays like he plays like eight roles in that movie, and they give it to some fucking tiny cracker who goes <laughs> and pretends he's blind. Fuck you! Oh, that was the worst Fuck you fucking Academy. movie I've ever seen. It's the worst. You about that Al Pacino movie? Yeah. Oh, that was the worst fucking of a movie woman. I've ever seen. Scent of a fucking he snow couldn't job. even keep his fucking southern accent straight. Uh, it was the worst. It was horrible. I it was the that. worst. He couldn't chew more scenery if he was a goddamn donkey or a goat or something. It was a it blind was guy who's going to drive a Ferrari. Stupidest fucking movie I've Stupidest ever seen. Stupidest fucking piece of shit. So anyway, that's my list. And that list is fucking shit. Wait, what the fuck am I for that movie? That list is <laughs> All right, on that note, we're out of here. We're going to go into plugs now. This has been a long one. This is probably like the second longest episode we've done. Probably the longest we've done in a couple of years. Uh, <laughs> That's another goddamn on-air production meeting. It was a good talk. Um, plugs. Does Seth have any plugs? But not time-specific ones. Things like where can I get information about this thing? I don't know when this episode will drop. Gotcha. Uh, you can get information about me on Twitter at David Meisel. That's M-I-E-K-E-L, David Meisel. I'm on Insta. I'm on Facebook. And also you can go to my website, which is the Internet is wasting my time here. Going to be in Seattle later this month for the Highway and Civil Rights um, Institute. Well, so we don't know if you're going to hear this in time for that. Uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, plugging bootleg copies of Who's the Center. Look for them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, plugs for you, Katie? Uh, I am on uh, Twitter at Katie Kemp on Twitter. Um, on Facebook, don't say that. I have an Instagram post that I'm not going to say. Okay. Uh, That's the uh, same, but you can follow me on there. Cause I just yeah, feel like going to follow me on Facebook, but if you search for Breakfast Club, and I have, like, less than 10 friends in common with you. I'm probably going to have more than 10 friends with you. I'll ignore it if I have to. Yeah. <laughs> I'll probably will ignore it if I don't, if I have enough for you to find me. So, and I'm sorry about that. I, but, I, but as a woman, I have to speak it out loud. I'm not That's sorry. That's the world we live in. I'm not sorry about it. I don't like getting tagged in TM. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, well, I'm not going to I'm not gonna appropriate a, a woman who's, whose Facebook picture is just a picture of her butt. So. <laughs> Profile picture is just your face and your butt in the same shot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to assume you don't exist. And that's just a foolish claim from an unsuspecting person. Okay. So, uh, I'm Ed Greer Destroys on Instagram and Ed Greer Destroys on Twitter. And uh, you can check my Instagram photos where I can tell you those things and I'll drop another one tomorrow. Whenever tomorrow is. Okay. Oh, also, guys, uh, I, I follow... Um, Fucking uh, honorable mention. Uh, it's Juice. Juice starring Tupac and Omar Epps and the fat dude from Lean On Me. I um, love that movie and it has a black lead amongst one of those you. guys. So what, 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 what honorable mention? Juice. You have, that's nine movies. You literally <laughs> named nine movies. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's fucking awesome. And, and you know what's great about it? It's like it's top five list and it gave nine Oh, movies. this is Higgins from Magnum P.I. Howdy. That's right. Also, Excellent. this is the scene. Oh yeah, this uh, is one of my. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. What's this? One of my favorite quotes from this movie. This is where they're they're talking. They 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 run the guys out of Rock Ridge, and they're talking about who gets to settle Rock Ridge. 
and the Irish guys and the and the guys that are, well, we'll take the niggers and the chinks, but we don't want the Irish. <laughs> I love that line. I grew up in an Irish neighborhood getting my ass kicked by the Irish. <laughs> Sorry right. to hoe it in. <laughs> oh, yeah, my, my plugs are that. So check my Instagram for works in progress. And uh, Also, I am setting up a Society6 store, so check for me on Society6. So you can have drawings that I did and Etsy. Uh, check for me so you can have drawings that I did put on your iPad or your fucking MacBook or um, your cell phone covers and shit like that. Yeah, I'm going to have all types of uh, merch there at Etsy and uh, Society6. They're amazing. I can't wait to see them. Thanks. All right. Plugs for the show. Uh, go to CineHeadLevisonShow.com to stream the show, download us on iTunes, rate and review us on iTunes, please. Uh, like us on Facebook. Uh, guys, I am uh, at Adam C. Brigger on Twitter, at Adam C. Brigger. Our other producer is at not Jimmy Fahey. Uh, we record at the Los Angeles Recording School. Jimmy. And uh, if you want to look for a show called Are You Afraid of the Dark People online, we have a Facebook show I host. Check that out. All right, thanks, everybody. Bye.